Well, good morning, Oakway. We're glad you're here as we are continuing in our series called No Insignificant Story. If you missed the first couple parts of that, I invite you to catch that online. Uh, last week, we had a, a message from a guest speaker, Mark Worley from Dallas Christian College, um, about no insignificant people, and it was an excellent message, so I invite you to check that out online. You can also uh, view those sermons through the app and uh, also through myoakwood.org. I don't know if you guys have ever experienced this yourselves, but I've experienced this several times in my life. Have you ever gotten someone a gift at Christmas that you were really excited about, and then you give it to them, and you realize that was a total flop? Like, you give them a gift, and you are super jazzed about it. You put all this thought into it. You're like, wow, this is going to be a great gift. And you give it to them, and you can just tell. Their face says to you, that is not what I wanted. That is not the gift that I wanted, that was sometimes maybe for people, it's, that's not the gift that I expected to get from you. And it's such a bummer because a lot of times if you put thought into it and you're really excited about it, you know, there's a reason. It's like you put yourself into this gift and then they, you know, it just seems to like crumble because you find out that that's not exactly what they were looking for. You know, this whole gift thing at Christmas time can sometimes be hard to navigate, you know? I don't know if you've ever been to one of those Christmas parties. I've attended a couple this year where you do uh, this thing that they call Dirty Santa, okay? And you know, you know what I'm talking about there. It's where you can steal gifts from each other and you open gifts and you do all that. And I, you know, when I go to those gift exchanges, I buy something to put in the gift exchange that I want. In fact, I'll just be honest, I have been known to open my own gift, at those parties, because I like what I'm bringing. And I hate it when someone brings something that no one wants. And it's like, you know, whoever brought that, did you, did you actually want to go home with that? No, because you won't steal it for yourself, right? They just kind of put it in the gift exchange and kind of, you know, leave it out there. And it's so disappointing. You know, this whole gift thing, it's hard to navigate. But you think about it, why do we give gifts anyway? What, what is that about? You know, we should be giving gifts to God, giving gifts to Jesus. You know, why are we giving gifts to each other? Well, it's because there's a tradition. We, we see that God is a giving God. And that's an expression of who he is and how much he loves us. And so we give gifts to the ones that we love, to our friends, to our family members, because we want to show them thoughtfulness. We want, them, we want to show them love and adoration. And really, it isn't about the gifts, is it? It's really about the fact that when you give someone a gift, you are thinking about them. And for me, it's all about the love and the thoughtfulness that is actually behind the gift. I heard, heard a, actually, I read a story about of some parents that were going on a vacation, and uh, they decided they're going to Europe. They'd never been to Europe, and they decided we're going to England. We're going to England for a week, and, uh, you know, they, they were so excited to go. They were, it was just the two of them, the, the, the mother and the father, the husband and the wife, and they were leaving their kids and the rest of their family behind and just going to England for a week. Now, I'm one of those people that when I travel, which is very minimal, but when I do, I love getting souvenirs for my girls. I call them souvies. And I, I go and I try to find something cool from where we've been. And that's why, you know, I used to go to a conference in Las Vegas and I'd buy them a Las Vegas t-shirt while I was there. Or some, you know, some artifact, something to, to, you know, commemorate the trip, some souvenir from somewhere that they haven't been, you know. And, and some of you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You're one of those people, if I go on a trip, I want to get everybody something from that trip. Well, this, these parents were no different. They really wanted to get something for their kids. Well, listen to what they brought back from England, from their vacation for the kids. They actually brought them back British socks and a British Elvis singing bear. Now, 
both of those things, you know, socks, you know, British socks. And I don't know if that meant they had some, you know, crest on, you know, the side of it. I, I don't know what a British sock is versus, you know, an American sock or an Ind- a South Indonesian sock. I don't know what the difference is there. But they brought them back English socks and then brought them back a British Elvis singing bear. And that was the one that I found the most troubling, okay, because Elvis wasn't from England. And all week I was going to do something funny here, like sing uh, Elvis with a British accent, and I can't. It cannot be done. It's like, thank you, little mama. You know, like, what do you say? Thank, me, thank you, little chap. You know, I don't know. It, it just didn't work out. And I was like, who goes to England and brings back their kids some British socks and a British Elvis singing bear? Well, at least they were thinking about their kids, right? At least they tried to bring back something memorable. You know, the Christmas story reminds us of the significance of a gift or a present. And in this sermon series, No Insignificant Story, the first week we talked about there was no insignificant place. And we talked about Bethlehem. Now, if you remember from that week, uh, Bethlehem, that, that name of that town actually comes from two Hebrew words, Beth and Lehem, and, and what it means is house of bread. And what's amazing to me is that the house of bread, this dusty, tiny, little, you know, insignificant town became really significant because the bread of life came to the house of bread and came into the world. And that is where God chose to have his son Jesus be born. Then last week we talked about no insignificant people. And if you were here last week, you probably can say the line because I think we said it like 10 times in the sermon. There are no insignificant people in the kingdom of God. And so those for all the people that were here or awake last week, we thank you. You remember that, but as great, great message last week. Again, catch that online. And today we're going to be talking about no insignificant present. No insignificant present. This morning we're going to look at a very interesting part of the Christmas story when some presents were actually given and exchanged. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, right at the beginning of the New Testament. If you don't have your Bible this morning, you can follow along in the app, or you can just grab that Bible right there in front of you, open it up to page 807, and you'll be right where we need to be this morning, Matthew chapter 2. We're going to begin here with verse 1. Now follow along with me. And it says there in verse 1, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. I want you to notice something right there from the beginning. It says, now after Jesus was born. So what we're reading here happened after Jesus was born, not when or while he was being born. But it says there in in Judea in the days of Herod the king, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. I want you to notice there that he was troubled. He was troubled about that because, you know, they said, hey, we're, we're coming to find the one that has been born king of the Jews. And Herod's thinking, I'm the king of the Jews. Wait a second here. I don't want any competition here. So he gathered all the scribes and the people, and he said, hey, where's the Messiah? Where's this Christ to be born? Verse 5, and they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. 
And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying this, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I may too go and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, not to the manger, not to the stable, but going into the house, they saw the child with Mary's mother, and they fell down, and they worshipped him. And then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now, before we go any further this morning, I want to stop for a second and establish some facts about this passage. Now, I don't want to ruin anyone's Christmas, or I don't want you to, you know, to ruin your nativity scene, but this part of the Christmas story actually takes place quite a while after the birth of Jesus. Um, at least several months, and a lot of Bible scholars uh, think something more like 12 to 18 months after the night that Jesus was born, this happens. Now we know this, and we can conclude this from a couple of reasons. First of all, the Scripture tells us later that Herod would kill all of the boys two years old and younger in and around Bethlehem. And the reason he did that was because, he, if you notice in the Scripture we just read, it said he ascertained about the time that the star appeared. And then they're going, and so Herod did not want any competition. He was very, very insecure. He wanted to be the only king in Israel. And so he said, well, if there's a baby that's been born king, I'll just, I'll just kill all the baby boys and I'll take care of it. So he put out an edict that all of the baby boys, two years old and under, which would cover that time frame, would be killed. And so we know that that had happened later. A second thing is Mary and Joseph, when they took Jesus to the temple to be circumcised, that had been on the eighth day after he was born, they actually offer a sacrifice. And the sacrifice they offer is for the poorest of poor. It's the smallest sacrifice you can offer to God in the temple. And that was two doves. Now, if they had just received eight days before uh, gold and frankincense and myrrh at Jesus' birth from the wise men, and they would have probably offered a better sacrifice to God in the temple. But they didn't have any money, and they didn't have those things yet, and so they couldn't. Another interesting fact about this passage is that there were probably more than three wise men. We read in Scripture that there were three gifts, and I guess just over time everybody thought, well, three gifts carried by three men, that's three wise men. But um, I really believe there was actually an entourage of people. If three people uh, from out of town came into Jerusalem, Jerusalem was a, a thriving uh, metropolis at that time, a big city. Uh, I don't know that King Herod would notice three guys coming in on camels from the east. But if you brought in a pack of like 60, you know, on camels, like an entourage of people, then I think he would have noticed. And if you notice, when they came in and they said what they said in our passage, it says that he was troubled in all of Jerusalem with him. They were all troubled, like, who are these guys? Wise men from the east, they're from way out east, like Persia, they're coming in. What, what, what are they after? And, and, and so um, there's more than three wise men, most likely. And now we can kind of move on um, with the rest of the story, because there's a lot more that we can observe from this text. There are gifts mentioned and implied here that are greater and more significant than gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. In fact, one of the gifts is given just before that in that, in that, in that same verse. And we're going to talk this morning about two significant presents that were mentioned here. 
And hopefully, through studying this, we can capture the wonder of Christmas when we realize there are no insignificant presents when they're given to God. The first present that was given here in the Scripture is really, really obvious. This isn't going to be um, you know, new to anyone. But the gift that was given by God to mankind, the gift given by God to us was the baby. The baby Jesus is in this passage. In John 3.16 it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. We see from the very beginning that God is a giving God. We see it all throughout the Old Testament that that God loves us so much. He wants to make a a way for us to be pure. He wants to make a way for us to be sanctified, that we can be holy and pure and blameless and be in relationship with Him. But throughout Scripture, we see that sin separates us from God. And so God's remedy in the Old Testament was to do a sacrificial system. But here we come to the New Testament, and Jesus is born. And Jesus, being perfect, never sinning, He's the perfect Lamb of God to take on all of the sins of the world. And so God sent His only Son to be a sacrifice for us. The awesome thing is that Jesus doesn't just save you for heaven. Jesus actually saves you from your sins. That you don't have to sin anymore. You can actually live in relationship with God and be pleasing to God. And it shouldn't be hard for us to do that because God loved us so much. We ought to want to live for Him. Well, this was a big deal, and God had to make it known to people. And in Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 21, uh, Jesus actually comes into the synagogue, and, and he reads a scripture, and he explains to people that he is the gift of God. He is the Messiah. Look what it says here. Just, just listen and follow along. It says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report, went, a report, a report about him went out through all of the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. And recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant, and Jesus sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus was letting them know right there in Luke chapter 4 that he was the present That God's greatest present, God's greatest gift had arrived. That He was the Son of God. He was the baby that was born. He was the one that was the Messiah that would take on all of the sins of the world. You know, it was probably a very exciting time when Jesus was born. Go back with me to the time you first had a baby in your family. Do you remember your first baby? What a big deal that was, all the unknown factors and how exciting it was. For some of you, you remember your first child, your first first birth of the first baby. For some of you, maybe it was the first grandchild. 
Or maybe you have a niece or a nephew, and there was this long expectation, and, and oh, they're, they're finally having, having a baby, and it's so exciting. And, and you know, there's pictures going, and, and, you, and you video the whole thing, no matter how gross it is, and, and, and you're, you're just crying. People are crying. I mean, they're just going nuts, like, yay, the baby's here. You know, and then you get to your second, your third, your fourth, your fifth, your sixth, and not so much video, not so many pictures. Maybe not even so much fanfare. I mean, at the first birth, I mean, all the grandparents and aunts and uncles and second cousins were there. And by the time you get to your sixth kid, it's like, no one came. You know, we had the baby when we went home. You know, I always, I always like to say, you know, women are amazing to me, like how they can go through the pains of childbirth and then just kind of go on with their life. You know, it's like they give birth and like, hey, you know, t- today they get out of the hospital like an hour later. You know, it's like, grab that kid. I got laundry to do. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's get home. But the baby's born is all this fanfare. And that's the way it was for Jesus. That's the way it was for the shepherds, and and, and there were angels. And then a little bit later, months later, these wise men come, and they'd seen that star. It's amazing what we read in this passage about their reaction to seeing a star. You know, those wise men remind us of the wonder of Christmas. Not the star that led them, but the, the fact that that star led them to the light of the world. To Jesus Christ and to the hope that they had. Uh, it, it says there in our, in our scripture, after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star they had seen when it rose went before them. So it must have disappeared while they were in Jerusalem for a, a time. And then it says, now it went before them and it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I think that journey had been so long. They were so excited because they knew they were close to seeing the present that came from God. And God gives us no insignificant presence. And the Christmas story reminds us of that fact in so many different ways. The second thing I want us to get this morning, we, we, we see that the gift that was given by God to us was the baby. The second thing is the gift that was given to God. The gift that was given to God. And that was from the wise men. And it was their worship. And you may sit here and think, well, wait, wait a minute. I thought their gifts were gold and frankincense and more. But let's go back and, and look at what the scripture actually says there in verse 11. It says, And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then what does it say in the next sentence? It says, Then, after they did what? After they gave the best gift, after they gave the greatest gift, the greatest present they're actually going to give to Jesus after they bow down and worship him. It says, then they opened their gifts. Then they opened their treasures and they offered him gifts of gold and of frankincense and of myrrh. I don't want to take away from those gifts because they're extremely, extremely valuable. But I want you to think of some of the other presents that those wise men had given Jesus. I mean, think about the time, the gift of time. The wise men gave God a lot of their time. That star had arisen, and they were, were from the east, and so that, that star had risen, and they were following it for months on end. I'm sure by the time they got into Jerusalem, and the star either fades or, you know, they just can't find it, and they stop there, and Herod talks to them, they're probably like, wow, we've been following the star for months. Most Bible scholars believe they were from Persia. So it'd be months of journeys. And if it's an entourage of, you know, somewhere between 20 and, and 60 uh, men on, on camels and packed down with all of their belongings and they've got these, the gifts they're bringing, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I mean, it would take a while to make it over to Jerusalem, to make it all the way to Jerusalem and then, and then down to Bethlehem. 
So they had given already a great gift, which was their time. They also gave these physical gifts. They were wonderful and probably even sacrificial gifts to bring gold, to bring frankincense, and to bring myrrh. They're so valuable in that time. But the most significant gift, the most significant present wasn't, wasn't in their time. It wasn't in their physical gifts. It was the sacrifice of praise and worship that they gave to God. And I want you to notice the first present that they give to the baby Jesus is their worship. There's something more than gold and frankincense and myrrh. I mean, these guys were rich and powerful. They had met Herod the king. No one just got a meeting with Herod. I mean, these men were highly respected. They were called wise men. And these men who had every reason to be proud, they were rich, they were wise, they were powerful, they were amazing men. When they see Jesus for the first time, their response is to bow down in humility and worship him. Can you imagine the scene, I, when I read Scripture sometimes, I have to imagine what's actually going on. Like so many times we read the Word of God, we don't get what's going on. I mean, imagine what it's like. This entourage of men from the East, they've been, they've been traveling forever, it feels like. I mean, for months and months on end. And the star has led them to the house. And they go inside the house and they said, where is he who has been born? King of the Jews. For we have come to worship him. And Mary says, he's right here. And they fall down. And they worship him. What is that moment like? I mean, so overwhelmed in their hearts, probably so emotional, so appreciative of God's gift to the world. Something they had sacrificed for, something they had journeyed for for so long, and they just bow down and they worship Him. Was it a song? Was it a prayer? Was it just crying out to God, Oh God, be praised for Your great gift that You have given to us. And then it was after that moment of worship that they gave him the physical gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The humility of these men before a baby, I think that's the greatest gift. They honor the newborn king by laying down their pride, their ego, by laying down their power, their fame. And acknowledging the greatness and superiority of God in that moment. They know who God is. And they know what God has done. And it just, it just forces them to worship. There's no other response but to worship God. You see, I want you to understand this morning. There is no insignificant present that is given purely from the human heart to God. There's no insignificant present when it's given purely from the human heart to God. And that's why giving worship to God is a big deal. And that's why even to this day, to God in heaven, giving our worship to Him is a big deal. Now most of you have heard of the book of Revelation, last book in the Bible. Uh, John the Revelator, he gets this revelation of what it's going to be like and he kind of pulls back the curtain into heaven. And I want to take you into the throne room of God right now. I just want you to listen as I read this from Revelation chapter 5. It says this, And then I saw the Lamb looking as if it had been slain. That's Jesus. Standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The Lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which were the seven spirits of God sent out to all of the earth. 
And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp. And they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which were the prayers of God's people. And then I looked and I heard the voice of the angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. Millions of angels there. And it says, and they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders were all there. And in a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped him. There it is again. Even in heaven. They're singing the praises of God. I don't know what the voice of a million angels sounds like, but I'm sure it's pretty significant. And they're worshiping God. They fell down. They humbled themselves. Because they're like, God, you did it all. Jesus, you paid the price. And that is a reason that we can worship I'm here to tell you this morning, now that's the gift that God wants at Christmas from us. That's the gift. It's not gold. It's not frankincense. It's not more. He wants our heart. I mean, do those parts sound familiar? As we read Scripture and as you read the rest of the Bible, you will see many times where people, it says that they fell down. They bowed down and they worshiped Him. This was the true gift of the wise men. And that's why there's no insignificant present when it's given to God especially the human heart. Do you remember Zacchaeus? The story of Zacchaeus, the wee little man, the little tax collector. Remember Zacchaeus and Jesus said, hey, I'm going to your house today to share a meal with you. And Jesus went to his house. And just because Jesus was there and met him and loved him and showed him that, what does Zacchaeus do? How does he respond? He starts giving presents. He says, I'm going to repay everybody everything I've taken from them, but I'm also going to repay it like three times the amount. I'm going to overpay. I'm going to give presents. Why was that? It's because he encountered Jesus. He understood who he was. His response was to give a present. And what did Jesus say in response to that? He said, salvation has come to this house today. Why? Because Zacchaeus gave him the present of his heart. And there is no insignificant present that a human would give his heart to God. You see, the story of the wise men is a story of no insignificant presence. God's gift to mankind and mankind's gift back to God. This Christmas, my prayer is you do not lose the wonder or the significance of the present. But you know what makes that present even better? Is when God is first and most and highest in our lives. And when we give to Him, we actually sacrifice to him a sacrifice of praise and we sacrifice the things of this world the things that we love we, we love our car and we love our house we love our jewelry and we love our things and yet we sacrifice those we would just put those away to just focus on God and to be totally enamored with him to be totally focused on him that he would be the highest the best and the first in our lives I want you to watch this video that kind of illustrates this point of sacrifice what, what this video is is it's some inner city kids from Atlanta 
And uh, they're, they're given a choice. And it's just amazing what they choose to sacrifice to give a present to someone else. Watch this video. This year for Christmas, what are you hoping to get? A computer. Big, giant Barbie house. A trophy case. Xbox 360. Minecraft Legos. What do you think your mom or dad want for Christmas? My mom would probably want a ring. She's never really had a ring. Jewelry. She loves jewelry. A new TV. Like watches. So, we actually did buy an Xbox 360. What in the world? And what is this? Okay, you you really got this for me? A new laptop. Wow. And it's a necklace. So we also bought a necklace because you said you also wanted to get a necklace for your mom or your auntie. The catch is that you can either get a gift for yourself huh? or you can pick a gift for your mom and dad. I need you to pick one. Now, now before you answer, oh, I bet that's hard. Is that a really hard question? Mm-hmm. What gift do you pick? I choose this. I gotta go with the ring. What gift do you pick? That one. That one. That dress. I'll choose this for my mom. I'll choose this one. It's a really tough question. I'll but give him this. You already know? Tell me why. Because Legos don't matter. Lego, your family matters. Not Legos, not toys, your family. So it's either family or Legos, and I choose family. I get gifts every year from my family, and my mom don't get anything. If I get a laptop, my mom will get something. She helps me when I'm sick. She helps me with my homework. She gave me a house to live in. They look out for me and do stuff for me, so I need to give back to them. Now I have the opportunity to give them something. Because you actually picked the gift for your family, you're actually going to go home with both. Tell me how you're feeling. I'm feeling really happy and Why? thankful. Just happy. Thankful. For your family? For what? My family, everything. You did make his decision, actually. And oh he picked the Pandora Charm. It's one of those videos, though I've seen it like 10 times, I still get teary-eyed every time I see it. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? Some kids that don't have much are willing to give up something really phenomenal for some of them. I mean, a laptop computer and give it up for someone else. Why, why does that touch us? Why does that bring 
a tear to our eye or a smile to our face, why does that affect us in such a way? It's because we look at those kids and we realize that, that's a great sacrifice. When they give up that gift, they're really giving up something that costs. I'm here to tell you this morning, when God gave up His Son, it really cost. It's a significant gift to us. And when we worship Him and we choose to make Him first and best and highest and most in our life, then we are giving Him a very significant gift back. Because if you want to know how you can bless the Lord this holiday season, you can give Him your worship. You can give Him your heart. You can have this heart that makes the Heavenly Father in His life, His priorities, the priority of your life. And you give Him the most and the best and the first. And if you really think about what He did and what Jesus did on the cross, man, I don't have a hard time worshiping someone like that. So this Christmas and today, the challenge is, are you ready to give God a gift? Because there's no insignificant present that a human heart gives to God.